Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cents. You can send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com or follow us on Twitter. It is indeed time for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, first question is this. My two-year-old daughter was a very uh, chatty, confident, clearly spoken little uh, character. However, she recently... About three weeks ago, I had a bad fall where she reached for something in the kitchen, fell awkwardly, got a fright, and she started badly stuttering ever since. It breaks my heart listening to her trying to get the words out. I brought her to my GP and Crumlin A&E, but I'm worried this, uh, this sudden, uh, about the sudden stuttering. Will it go? Is there anything I can do to help her overcome it? I've just been ignoring it and trying to do lots of sensory play to keep her stimulated and getting her out and about. She does lots of imaginative play with little toys at home and plays with her older brother and sister would love your advice and mm. that's all lovely play at the end isn't it but my goodness like I just think when you think about a child that age having a fall like that the fright that yeah. it gives them but also as a parent the fright you get and it must have been some fall you know that you were with the GP you were in Crumlin mm. A&E with her you know and because you were with your GP and and the A&E department I'm assuming that you know they've ruled out anything like a head injury or concussion and the reason I kind of ask or wonder about that is you know just to rule out that this is you know a neurogenic stammering you know it is after a head injury Mm. or a concussion or something like that what is more likely though Sean in this instance is that this is a developmental stammer that has emerged which is actually quite typical between two and five years old and children who've had their words and and suddenly this emerges and that maybe the timing with the fall is a coincidence you know, especially yes. because you've ruled out anything else. So, you know, because it is so typical, it doesn't mean, oh, therefore do nothing. I would still suggest that you refer to primary care speech and language services because she is so young. And those early years intervention teams, you know, are so good at seeing them when they're little and getting in there when this is a new thing that's emerged. You can self-refer to that service, but you can also have your GP refer you or you know what, you could you could talk to your GP and get the referral in and you can always follow up yourself. You know, you can come Mm -hmm. at it from both angles. But I would definitely refer her into speech and language. But I wouldn't just assume it's, oh, there was a fall, now this. It could be developmental stammer. Right, okay. But even... You know, from that age on, the, 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 it's almost like, or am I totally incorrect? There's almost like a natural uh, stutter as they're kind of learn their fluency. It's they do this. It's very common at this yeah. age. It really is. But, you know, of course, just knowing it's really common doesn't actually make you of feel course, a whole no. lot better of course not. about no, it. No. So I do think, you know, that's why I want to be like, I don't want it to sound dismissive. I'm going, oh, sure, look at it, it's developmental. I still think have it looked sure. at because, yeah. you know, at least if somebody who specialises in, in this area looks at it, they can either reassure you as to what it is or isn't or certainly give you some exercises, activities that you can do at home to support this. Mm. And I think, you know, two years old, she's really, really little. This has only just started and emerged. So this is a good time to get in and deal with it. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and But in the meantime, it sounds like all the things she is doing are, are doing it right. Absolutely. Yeah. The sensory play, the lovely imaginative play at her age mm. and engaging with the older brother and sister. That's all lovely. Keep that up. Absolutely. The more of that, the better. My six-year-old son is in senior infants. Recently, there has been a lot of talk of classmates having crushes on one another. And this has evolved quickly to what he tells me are dates in the playground. And in one instance, a boy kissed a girl on the lips. 
I didn't even realise he had the vocabulary around this topic, so I would like to have a chat with him about it. But how should I pitch this? Would it be over the top to talk about consent? And is this kind of behaviour normal for six-year-olds? I mean, what's normal and not normal varies wildly Wildly, in six-year-olds in general, but at this age in particular. And it's never too early to start that conversation about consent. You can start that in toddlerhood. You know, it's about how you do it and how you present it and be as playful and creative with that as possible. While really, I mean, really, it's about boundaries, isn't it? It's about understanding what is and isn't okay and checking Mm. in with people. I, I would, though, I mean, this is like, you know, the crushes, the dates and the kissing. It's all, you know, quite an intense little scenario going on in the playground, but also something that kids are exploring about each other. So I'd be curious about this, you know, in the way you would about any game they come home and tell you about. Here's we were playing zombies in the playground today or we were playing this today. Oh, what was that about? What was that game? Did you like it? Was that a fun game to play? You know, be curious about it in the same way that you would. And you could also, you know, wonder with him what he understands by the word crush. You know, yeah, I mean, there are some yeah. six-year-olds out there who will think that's a physical crashing into each other kind of crush and there's others <laughs> who will really see it in this more romantic sense, if you like. Um, but you could even frame it with, look, I know what that word means to me, but I'm wondering what it means to you. Maybe we understand it differently. And then that could be your segue into talking about consent. Because you, I also, though, with this, because they're expressing care and affection for each other. That's really what it is. It's no more than this at this age that really you can talk about. There are lots of different ways to show that you care about a friend in school. You can wave at them. You can high five them, you know, and that it doesn't have to be kisses. Mm, Um, I imagine in these times we're living in, you know, lots of parents wouldn't want them kissing anyway um, in the in the playground, regardless of anything else going on. So, you know, and I would also maybe flag with the teacher as well that maybe there's a way in class that this conversation can be supported mm. with all of them. But, you know, you're asking specifically about consent and how to frame it. There is a book that I like. I have it myself at home and use it, actually. It's called Let's Talk About Body Boundaries, Consent and Respect. And it is it's by Sarah Jennings. And it's a book that is about consent for children. So it is written for children. Now, it's not one that you give them to read themselves, read it with them, think Mm. about it, talk about it and then role play out how that would look and sound in the playground. Because for children this age, it's one thing that we tell them about something. It's another level when we read a book and they get, oh, right, Mm. really think about it. But to really integrate it as a default behaviour in them, you have to play it out with them. So you could say, okay, let's imagine we're in the playground. This is what we're playing. What would you say? Here's what I would say. And then they have it in them when the scenario arises. Don't see this as, oh, a red flag. There's something going on in school. Oh. This is a problem. This is kids being kids. But, you know, it is never too early to start that conversation. And there are ways that you can do it. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I have a daughter and senior infants. Uh, yeah. there's, there's a married couple in her class uh, oh, that's already. Great. Already. Uh, and, uh, um, uh, I hope uh, they kept uh, their numbers yeah. compliant. Yeah, now. all the did, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, she's a boyfriend as well. And uh, my my general impression is that the boys involved in both the marriage and the relationship are blissfully unaware that they're involved in one. Best way to have uh, it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, I think the girls would eat them for breakfast at this stage anyway. So because they're they're kind of projecting but, into, but it, and they are playing with these it's ideas. playing with the yeah, ideas. And yeah. it's, it's really at this age, you know, that six and seven developmentally, they go into that stage three play of role play where they take real life roles that mm, they see in yes, their lives and they immerse themselves in 
into the role. So they are the teacher or student, you know, they are the parents, they are the married couple, the dating couple. Mm. So little things that are influencing them in their life, relationships, core, you know, functions of relationship in their life. This is what they drag into their play and then they play it out with a position of authority. What would it be like if I was the one Mm. in that role? It's absolutely, it's not just normal, it's lovely, healthy play at this age. But yeah, sure, it's a great opportunity to start a conversation about consent as early as possible. Absolutely. I'm starting to worry about my sister and her husband and in particular the strange rituals they have for bedtime for their two children which seem to me to be bordering on neurosis. The kids are two years and six months respectively. The older one is a bit of a live wire but not prone to tantrums and he rarely creates trouble when going to bed. The six month old is probably the quietest baby on planet Earth. She never cries and would sleep in a bed of nails. But there are two issues. Since long before the second baby was born the eldest child's bedtime has been 7pm no matter what. This often leads to the process of pyjamas etc starting at 6.20 which seems ludicrously early for a two-year-old. The problem is that without fail he wakes up at 5am every single morning. My sister then insists that they get up with him at that time. Is this normal? Surely they should put him to bed later. I put this to the test when looking after him recently, deliberately left him a a, a while when he woke up at 5am and after 10 minutes or so he went back to sleep until almost 7 The second strange issue here is that uh, when either or both children are being put to bed for the night, either my sister or her husband will lie down on the bed next to the cot, often holding their hand until they go to sleep, which could sometimes take up to 20 minutes. In the case of the two-year-old, it is clearly something he has come to expect every night. My sister and her husband act as if the world will explode if they don't go through this ritual. And I get the impression that this is something that they once read in one of those parenting books. (laughs) So, you know those parenting books, Joanna. So, uh, the bedtime process is a massively time-consuming, taking up over an hour of their uh, evening for each child. And they're both completely exhausted from being up at 5am every morning. It strikes me that a lot of this is unnecessary and could be avoided. Does your expert have any thoughts on this? I mean, mm. I, I do. Yes. Please sit but down you, and share you, all this with your sister. You may, you may not like them, so brace yourself. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I just think we clearly understand the threshold for strange rituals very differently. Because when you read that, I was like, where is this going? Yes, I thought you it was know? some sort of satanic thing. And then it was a two-year-old going to bed at 7pm, which I have to say is an appropriate bedtime for a two-year-old. This yeah. is not strange at all. And, you know, having a bedtime routine that is predictable, consistent, that the child knows exactly what's happening and it starts at 6.20 and the child's in bed by 7. That's a win. Yeah. I'm looking at going, okay, still not hearing the strange in this. And look, I've no doubt that the person who wrote in is coming from a place of concern and good intention. I do want to give that benefit of doubt. But along the way, you have crossed into judgment. And no one appreciates being judged. And this does read a bit judgy. It's a little bit like, you know, anyone looking at how you parent your kids will have in their head that they could do a better job than you. It doesn't mean that's real. Okay, let's <laughs> and just it say never that. ends well, that conversation. And, you know, and be very careful of the line you're walking here with this, because I would encourage you, you've got a, a sister you clearly care about. She has two really young children two-year-old and a six-month-old and maybe you could offer to babysit. You clearly have because you nailed the bedtime routine, as you say, um, in that one time that you were there with them. Um, But you could offer to babysit to give them a night off. You could also simply tell your sister that she's a great mom doing a great job. Yeah. And 
that would go a lot further than pointing out the ridiculous or as they're called strange when they're not strange at all rituals. The whole thing about lying down with a child for 20 minutes till they're asleep, that's a parental choice. And mm. if that works for them as a family, that's very much their choice. It's, Again, well, there's nothing know, strange You could about say it. they've created a rod for their own back, but it's not for an sure, uncommon thing at all. It's not at all uncommon. No. And it certainly doesn't meet the threshold for strange. No, um, no. You know, I think there are parents up and down the country going, yeah, yeah, that's my life. Wondering, is that my sister writing in? No, yeah. no I think it's very <laughs> relatable. You yeah. know, what's going on here. And I just think approach this in a very different way. It's so easy from the outside looking in to go, I do that differently. I do that better. And in your head, your routine and theory is flawless and perfect. The reality of parenting children day to day is much, much different. And I'm not even making an assumption that this person has or has not got children because they don't include reference to that. But even if you do, how you parent and what works with your children is not a standard across Mm, the board. mm. There's no universal approach, even with those pesky parenting books that, you know, some people write, Um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that are out there. Um, But, you know, like it is about being very careful of how we look at things from the outside and instead approaching a situation from compassion and actually saying, you know what, I see how hard you're working. I see how hard this is. And I think you're doing a great job. I just wanted to make sure you knew that. And I think that's a much kinder yeah. approach. Uh, and there isn't a two-year-old on earth who doesn't get up two hours earlier than you want them to. 100%. Uh, it, yeah. And even if they do that occasional, sure, I'll lie down because you're not my mom, by the way. So yeah. if you tell me to lie down, I might go, not sure how to push you and push boundaries with you. Yeah, good point. Because kids yeah. will often do mm. things for our relatives that they won't do for, for us, us parents. Yeah. And then the relatives go, it's why they eat yeah. all the broccoli in childcare and won't touch oh, yeah. it in your house. You know, yeah, it's exactly well, you know, the same. Grandparents aren't above lying. That's all. <laughs> That's all I'm prepared to say. Uh, right. OK, uh, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're, we're going to take a break. After that, another controversial one. Should I go with my 13 year old on her date? Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune is still with us. Now, here's our next question. My 13-year-old daughter has been asked on a date. The boy is the same age as her. I think she's much too young for this. And so I've told her that the only way I will permit her to go is if I accompany her. We've agreed that I will sit next to them in the cinema. However, my daughter believes it's unfair and has told me that it's really embarrassing for her. Should I overrule her and keep doing it just to ensure her safety. I mean, your daughter's right. It is embarrassing, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, those two truths can coexist. I just want to start with that. Um, And it is okay to acknowledge her. I get it. I get that you would be embarrassed. Would you rather not go? You know, that is a choice that she can make. Um, You can also sit behind her maybe if beside her is a little intrusive. But the bottom line for me, Sean, on this is the line that, you know, I think she's much too young for this. If you think she's too young and even much too young for a date, then that's your answer. You know, you know, you can you've given her an option. So I think you're going to have to see that through. Like you've said, you can go under these conditions, but it is okay to go. You know, I think you're too young for a date. And now that we're talking about it, I don't think that we've had an opportunity to discuss that. And I haven't told you 
the age that I do think would be appropriate. And I'm wondering, do you have an age in mind that you could mm. say to her, look, under 15 or whatever it might be, I'm just picking an arbitrary number rather than recommending an age because that's going to be very different for different kids. No, no two teenagers mature at the same stage or level. So you can say to her, this is what I would be comfortable with. But I suppose whatever way you approach it is you don't want to, you know, stamp out the excitement Mm. of this for her. You know, she may have felt really excited, flattered, you know, that she was asked out on a date and that was a really Mm. positive feeling and experience for her. And you can acknowledge that and go, that must have felt really nice. And I'm sure you were really excited. And me telling you, I don't think you're ready is probably really stealing some of that and I don't want to. You're allowed to feel excited about that. Emphasising, you know, and again, I'm assuming this is a truth. If it's not, you modify accordingly to what you want in your home particularly at the moment with what's recommended or not recommended. But to emphasise, her friends are always welcome in your home. Yeah. And, you know, speak about him as a friend, you know, which is also what he is. And that would she like to have a few, a handful of friends over for a pizza and that you'll give them some space in the dining room or the kitchen or whatever it might be in your home and they can spend time together and hang out together. And that you're saying that, you know, that going on a date to the cinema might be something you're not comfortable with. Maybe taking a walk in the park you're more comfortable with. So I think it's about thinking it through. But as a parent, there is no like categorical right or wrong on this. You know, anyone else listening going, God, I'd be totally fine at my 13 year old. That's okay. That's your choice. And yeah. You know your child best. But if anything in you is saying, no, I'm uncomfortable with this. This doesn't feel appropriate. That is your answer. And that's a valid answer. Yeah. I just have this image of these two 13 year olds going to a you know a movie and there's an, an adult wearing dark glasses three rows back pretending not to be watching somebody. yes <laughs> it's fun for everyone uh, right I've uh, I've just gone back to work after maternity leave and we have a childminder lined up to take care of our 12 month old boy in the home he's our first child after a number of days of having the childminder over for a few hours at a time to get to know him uh, and get settled he's still very nervous about it and cries hysterically if my husband or I leave the room and leave him alone for any length of time. The childminder is due to start full time next week. We're both dreading it because of the distress we know it's going to cause our baby. We've tried the method of saying a big goodbye and leaving for short periods of time in the hope we'll get distracted and settle, but the tears come flooding when we leave and for the full duration of the time we're gone. It's heartbreaking and is making the return to work almost unbearable to the extent that at times I've actually considered packing in the career I've been committed to for the previous 15 years to stay at home with them. Do you have advice or recommendations for how we could try to help our baby adjust to the new childminder and be less distressed when we leave? And they're only starting next week, so... I know, it's... I mean, I think, you know, any parent, you know, who knows this experience can feel that struggle, even as you're reading that. I remember myself going back to work and that initial transition, and that's what it is. It's a transition and there is a period of adjustment. And unfortunately, and particularly around, you know, you know, what that cohort that are described as COVID babies, you know, Mm. their social circle or their broad circle of exposure to other people outside of immediate family has been really narrow. So, you know, maybe this baby hasn't had a lot of experience with other adults other than mum and dad, Mm. you know. So even with grandparents or aunties or anyone like that, if there was, you know, I don't know, has he ever settled for somebody else or has it been this really lovely but intense time for you while Mm. on maternity leave where it's been all about you guys. So I think what he's doing is in his own way communicating 
not happy about this, yeah. don't love this. And the cry is designed, you know, to convey that feeling that he can't otherwise communicate to you and also to elicit a response from you because you're hardwired and attuned to hearing that cry as a distress call and you're looking to, you know, reassure him, console him. So I don't have a magic answer is the long answer short. Yes. I wish I did. But I also think just put this in the context of development. First of all, your new minder has, you say, a number of days. I don't know how many that is. Yeah. But, you know, if the new minder could come for an hour, two hours every other day for a week or two leading up to you going. And I'm also wondering, and this is just a wondering, I'm not saying it will definitely work, that what I'm hearing is the minder comes into the house and you guys disappear, maybe still in the house. If your child knows you're in the house, they will hunt you out, by the way. If you could leave, actually leave the house and go for a short walk, like 15, 20 minutes and come back. Or if the minder came and took your child in the buggy out for a walk. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then brought him back. Um, you know, that... That that might be a distraction, if you know what I mean, being mm. out and about and moving and the minder could do that instead of knowing I'm in this room. I know you're in that other room and I yeah. really want you to come back to me. You could try that. But bear in mind, he's 12 months old. And as we've spoken about before, Jean, you know, that's really when that object and people permanence piece is yeah. developing in our children that they're still learning when they don't see us, that we still exist somewhere and that we will return. Because initially, when we disappear from their sight, they're like, you've ceased to exist. Existential crisis. Mm. This is awful. And they have that emotional response. So lots of play like peekaboo, hide and seek things, hiding the teddy or the bunny behind your back and then making them reappear, you know, behind a little blanket and peeping out all of that type of play and lots and lots of it. And give yourself and your child and the poor minder as well, by the way, time. You know, it is going to take time. I'm not going to give you a it'll it'll be grand in a week or two weeks. Some children are fine in a few days of it. Um, I would like to see him settling you mm. know, once you are gone. And I think you'll only know by trying this how it works out for you guys. But I would certainly give it two weeks. Yeah, I'd certainly give it at least two weeks. Um, and know that you're leaving him with somebody you've clearly selected, that you're trusting to leave your baby with, who is qualified and equipped to do mm. this job. And yeah, that the, the minder is very able... important in this oh, regard. Absolutely. absolutely. If they're calm and they, you know, and they re they're reassuring the parents as much as uh, Absolutely as yeah. much, you know. And I know certainly my own experience, that was very helpful for me mm. that the minder's like, it's okay. I got this. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and not feeling like you're the only one who can soothe your baby. And I think that's very, very hard. And I'm sure people listening are like, yeah, I've walked that walk. Here's what worked for us. And there are lots of ideas I think would be helpful to contribute. But, it is going to be about trying this, testing it out and seeing what works for you as a family. But don't pack in your 15 year career. Certainly not now. Give yeah, it a few yeah. weeks. You know, if you pack up your <laughs> career, a, ultimately, uh, it's your own choice. I would be but saying it's a big to you, decision to make. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a massive life decision. Don't make a big life decision in the middle of a transition. Uh, I think that mother should go on the date and sit in front of them. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, that'll really help. Uh, uh, the uh, somebody else says, "Oh my, OMG, you're damaging." This is the, the cinema question again. You're damaging that poor child. What do you think her peers in school are saying? This will stick with her for years. Why not drop them off at the cinema and pick them up straight after? But sitting beside them is way OTT. That is, oh, it is sitting, a point. I did yeah, say the word, you know, it will feel intrusive. Yeah. Um, but there, you know, your daughter can also say, "Absolutely not." If that is your bottom line, parent, I'm not going, and that's a choice. Definitely sitting 
behind or, you know, to the side and behind. I think with them, it will definitely be experienced as intrusive. But I, I would also challenge it'll damage her for the rest of her life. I, I no, just know. only if like afterwards and he tells his friends what happened and then, oh my God, she brought her mammy on a date. You know, the way those 100%, things can... 100%. I think offer a few alternatives to yeah. this. <laughs> Yeah, um, I recently introduced my five-year-old son to my new partner. However, on the few occasions that they have met, my partner makes a big effort, but my son gives her nothing. He won't speak to her, acknowledge her. He barely even looks in her direction. I don't know if he's still processing my breakup with his mother, but I feel so bad for my partner because she's doing her best and just wants him to be happy. But she's downcast that my son refuses to respond to her. How can I talk to him about this next stage in our lives uh, and that I want him to be more accepting of her? It's important to me that they bond. Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, it's important to you and you want it to happen, but that alone isn't going to get it there. I don't know anything about timelines here. You know, we don't know how long the breakup from this little boy's mother is or how long this relationship is or the gap between the two. So we don't know, you know, enough about timelines to say, oh, give it time. I don't want to say that because I don't know. Um, but he is allowed to be shy or awkward or cautious about meeting someone new. He that he is allowed to have that. And your your partner being really open and inviting and warm and pleasant is very appropriate and keep doing that. But he doesn't owe her a response. Mm. That's not his job as a five-year-old. Yes. You yeah, know, yeah. it's not his responsibility to make the adults involved feel better. He's allowed yeah. to feel his feelings and have his struggle as he is. And I think this will take time. Again, I don't know how much time has already passed, but to build any new connection takes time. And that's OK. He's also experienced, regardless of how long ago it was, the breakup of a relationship in his life. And he may be just holding back to go, well, I don't know, is this going to be forever or is this going to break up and how will I feel about that? There might be a little self-protective factor going on in this, which again is understandable. I think, you know, and again, not quite clear how you're doing this or how often he is you know, the frequency or duration he's with your partner, but start with short bursts of exposure, you know, doing something that interests him. You know, that he really likes doing and short bursts and then build it up from there. I think, you know, when you say, how can I get him to do this? Acknowledge to him, for him, that you see it as hard for him, um, that you see it's hard for him to welcome someone new into the family and that you still love him just as much that you've got lots of room in your life for lots of people, but you're not giving him any less. And that while you will spend time together, you will also make sure that he and you get to spend time just alone as well. Yes. Because he may be going, but now I'm sharing the time I have with you with somebody else and I'm not happy about that either. Mm, So, you know, I think sit down and go, look, I can see this is hard for you. I Mm. get it. And I love you just as much. And we're going to get through this together and be really patient about it. Yeah. And try to do the whole empathy. He's only five. He's very, very young. Yeah, Colin says, my young son was like that for a long time towards my partner. Trying to spark a change in attitude is tricky. Sometimes you just need to leave it to the child to decide when they're ready. At least it will feel more natural rather than forced. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you'll always encourage, um, you know, fun and engagement and you'll there there does need to be a boundary on manners. You're you're allowed to struggle, but you're not allowed to be rude. You know, you can do it that way, but I wouldn't be consequencing him not liking or not wanting to show enthusiasm. Yeah. And I suppose because to, to us, like it was probably the, the most significant event in his, in his 
five years and is, is the is the breakup of his parents. Really, of course, so. of course, and it's really normal for lots of children, even when you've negotiated that breakup as well as humanly can be negotiated and mm. you feel you've been really clear with the kids and lots of reassuring. It's not unusual for children, particularly young children, to nurture a fantasy of one day you'll get back yes. together. Yeah. And so when one or other parent introduces a new partner, all that does is remind me you're not getting back with my mom. Yeah. And yeah. that can be very that's hard. A, that's a hard one to take. Yeah. Uh, the and uh, just going back to the, the question we had about uh, the um, in senior infants class and people going on dates. Uh, I re- I'm listening to the parenting slide. I remember arriving to pick up my child and he was getting a massage. <laughs> there were three boys having a massage and three girl masseuses, completely innocent as they were playing beauty parlor. You see, exactly. <laughs> I'm also going. School is a fantastic place, guys. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, that's, that's what you call your paradigm shift. Ask questions before you start shooting on that one. Joanna, thanks a million thanks so as ever. Much. Joanna Fortune there. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. We're going to take a break after that. Christian nationalism. Moncrief on Newstalk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.